Hello and welcome to the Wednesday Woo Woo Show. We're your hosts today and spiritual sisters, Sam and Jeline. Woo Woo is a word that divides opinion. It has a deeper meaning to us both as a cornerstone of holistic health and wellness and as wellness practitioners. But what is it and why is it both controversial and important to consider now? Each week we'll get to explore what it means to others and we'll all get to know Woo Woo with love, fun and compassion. Our health needs are unique to us and our podcast will demonstrate there is a lid for every pot. You'll be glad you joined us today, so get yourself comfortable because you wouldn't want to miss the message that was just meant for you. We are hopeful you will enjoy this episode. Please share the podcast and put on notifications so that you never miss an episode. Don't forget to like and share in your network so that more people can benefit from the podcast conversations. Curious? Then join us every Wednesday for a whole heap of woo-woo. Welcome, welcome. Today we share a space to talk about a topic not often shared. Today we promote the importance of having these curious conversations that are difficult but necessary. Our guest today is a returning guest, a campaigner, founder, and educator. So I'm going to cut to the chase and remind you all that this week is Dying Matters Awareness Week. We have the pleasure of talking to Maureen Anderson. So this is part two for those of you who are loyal listeners. Last time, Maureen came and spoke to us about menopause and yes, menopause matters and it is something that's been spoken about much more. Today is another very important topic that touches all our lives. Today we'll be talking about how we talk about dying and as Maureen would say, life and death go hand in hand. Welcome Maureen. Hello, it's lovely to be here again for part two. (laughs) Welcome Maureen. So we are going to start with our fun fact question, had it previously, but our question for you today would be, what was the last book you read that taught you something about life? That's a very good question. I'm having to think now, the last book that I read that taught me something about life. Or maybe can I change it a little bit as opposed to being the last book? But one of the most prominent books that I've read in my lifetime so far has been Women Who Run With The Wolves, which is a beautiful book. It is written in a style that is poetic and it talks about the woman within, that we are essentially wild women who, if we connect with our natural instincts, that everything is possible within us, that we have it. So that is a book that I gift to friends. It's a book that I hold very dear. 
that is a book that I will refer to in all aspects of my life. So I would encourage everyone to get a copy. Bear with it. It's not an easy read if you are expecting something that's quite simple, but you will be given lots of gems when you can complete that book. Sounds brilliant. So just remind us of the title again. It's called Women Who Run With The Wolves and the author is... Hmm. Is it Piccola Estes? I'll come back to you with that. Okay. I have to go and look at my bookshelf. Amazing. Thank you for that. So in our last podcast, we talked a little bit about your journey, but I just wanted to continue that really. You're obviously involved in a lot of campaigns and there's a lot of subject matters that are dear to your heart. How did you get into that? What fuels your passion in these areas? Essentially, it is about equity. It is about every person, young and old, being respected, being heard, being seen, being valued, being given a space to be vulnerable and supported without judgment. Yeah, that's beautiful. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the campaign that you're here to talk about today? So this week, the 2nd to the 6th of May is Hospice UK's Dying Matters Awareness Week. It's really important that as individuals, we are having these conversations and Hospice UK are encouraging all of us to start the conversation. We know it isn't an easy one for many people, but it's something that should not be taboo. It's a topic of conversation that you can make as lighthearted as you choose to, depending on the time in which you're doing it. And obviously, ideally, it's better to have those conversations before the need arises rather than in the throes of, you know, sad news or terminal news. So Hospice UK each year will campaign and encourage us to have those conversations, as I've said. The reason why I've got involved is in 2020, my parents both died at home within four weeks of each other. It was a really difficult time. It was a challenging time, given that it was covid but they were able to come home and died in our living room. They were together. We were fortunate because that is a place in which my parents would have wanted to have been. But there are thousands of others who perhaps would not have wanted to have died at home. They perhaps would have wanted to have gone to a hospital or to a hospice. But if they do not know that those options are there for them, they'll make do with where they they are. So that's why it's really important that we engage in those conversations as we would with any other conversation around the dinner table, around the kitchen table, as you're walking in the park. Be curious about another person's requests, but also share your own. I can ask you both, what is your choice? Where would you like to die if you had a choice? Jolene. 
I haven't really thought about it, but in terms of my own experience, my father died at home and it made a real difference because as it was different from the way my mother passed away. So we had time to talk. I'm laughing now. <laughs> my father had a, a song that he remembered from his mother. So it's times like that as well, you find out about other loved ones that you would never have had that conversation. So that was beautiful. He spoke about his mother's favorite song that became his. So we, we gathered around and we sang something we've never done because my dad's a cricketer. He likes cricket. <laughs> if you're gathering around for anything, it's to watch cricket. Yeah, that was that was lovely. I could rub his tummy. It was spiritual, much more spiritual than it would have been at any time in terms of any memory I have from my father, because that was more my mum's thing. Loving. And probably it was the, the time I was most brave because it was the, um, you know, the health people coming in and trying to make my dad comfortable. And that was really hard. And yeah, so. If now that you've asked me, I hadn't really thought about it, really. It was the fact that he was at home and we could try to make him comfortable, played songs. We did all kinds of stuff because, as I said, dad liked politics, news and cricket. So the it was very different. Yeah. Lovely. So I'd probably like to be with family because maybe the opportunity may not be that I can be at home, but I would love my family, loved ones to be around me. That's beautiful. And as you were speaking, it just makes me smile because I, I can sense the warmth that you were giving to your dad and that you were receiving from him. Yeah. Quite playful. And that's why with the Dying Matters Awareness Week, the strap line is in a good place. You want to die in a good place. So what about you? Yeah, same. I think I would. Having having been with my auntie when she was when she passed, we were there. She was in hospital again. We were surrounded by family. My mum, my dad were there. I was there. My brother was on the phone. My sister was well, and but it was in hospital, so it was a very clinical environment. So it was a very peaceful person, but. With hindsight, it would have been even lovelier if she'd have been at home. And yeah, so yeah. So do you think that you would then like to be at home when your time comes? I think so. I think I would. You know, surrounded by, still surrounded by the family, and and it was, you know, we we were talking to her, and it it in terms of passing, we were glad we were there. There was lots of love in the room, but it was still quite a clinical environment. So definitely, I think I would prefer to be at home. Yeah, so interesting, isn't it, as to things are done to us and there are things that we can make choices for. So, again, it's really important that we know that we have agency here as much as possible, that we state our wishes. It's a plan. It's a, a death plan or a dying plan. And we shouldn't be afraid of doing that. If I just share a little bit about my own parents. So my my parents were in the living room. They had been discharged from the hospital and it was quite horrific because we didn't realise that 
our mother was end of life until I read the discharge paper. They told us that she had days to one week to live, having been in hospital for about five or six weeks and uh, speaking to them every day, twice a day sometimes to get updates. We were not told that she was end of life. That said, we were pleased that we got her home two days after our father had been discharged and he was really happy to be home amongst his children. But when it was a couple of days before mum actually passed, all of my siblings were around. There was two on the telephone because they live abroad or in London. And uh, we sang all of my mum's and my dad's old church songs. We sang really badly. We were we surrounded her bed. My dad was clapping in the background. I have a video of us all horrifically singing. But in the background, you can see my dad, who was blind and partially hearing clapping and humming along to the tune and so you know we laughed and we cried and you know my dad prayed for my mum's passing and it was joyful what's been very sad but we did our best to give her the send-off that we know culturally is what we ought to have done so lots of noise lots of Jim Reeves in the background <laughs> which is a very common, uh, particularly in Caribbean households, if there's a faith, they will listen to Jim Reeves and his gospel songs. And fortunately, my parents had planned their order of service 10 years prior to them dying. So the conversations around death was always in our household. They were even able to see the mock-up order of service, you know, 10 years prior, the pictures that we were going to use, the eulogy that we would have, um, that we spoke about them, they had input into every part of their order of service. It wasn't done to them, nothing was imposed on them, it was all the songs that they would have liked. So I think that's why it's really, really important. And I think it's a great time for us to you know, think about what poems would we choose for our own service. This is our final stage event, isn't it? Our death and our service. And who better to be the, the, the writer, the designer and the, the, the whole producer of your life story than yourself? And then it's nice to have other people's reflections, but you do the main part. And it takes away a lot of the stress from other people, particularly when they are in the throes of crying, grieving, mourning, a state of confusion and upset, devastation. You know, it's really lovely if we can take away some of that pressure. It's one of our last gifts to our family and our loved ones. I always think it's it's quite having been to a funeral recently and heard all of the lovely words and stories and everything that's put together. My mum always says that you need to go through a funeral to go through the grieving process. And I always think it's such a shame, really, that you can't have you can't hear all of that before you pass. And I heard recently about some people actually celebrating life parties as well so that 
that's something as part of my own plan. I have written or down everything that I would like for my, you know, my funeral. But that's something I was also considering as well is wouldn't it be lovely to actually hear all those things whilst you're still here? A hundred percent. There's a a quote that says I'd I'd rather have flowers whilst I'm alive rather than, you know, loads of flowers when I'm dead because, you know, you can't appreciate them, you can't smell them. But going back to say culturally, in, in some African Caribbean communities, we'll do something called Kwanzaa on the 26th of December. And in the Kwanzaa celebration, you go around with the whole family, you're sitting in a circle. So for some people, you've got to have a, quite a big uh, room. And you start with the youngest person going through to the eldest and everyone speaks about each person one by one and we go around in a whole circle so you hear the impact that that person has made why you are proud of this person and you're literally pouring in all of this love and they also reflect on their year so every year there's a reflection and a pouring in of every member of the family if they observe Kwanzaa and that is a way of recognizing each family member in life Everyone leaves that feeling uplifted, they feel seen, they feel the love. There's often tears because when you start talking from your heart about your, well, for me, it would be my nieces or my nephews. And I remember doing that with mom and, my mum and dad. The emotion that comes out when you're telling mm. the children how much you love them and what they mean to you and how they've impacted on your life. It's incredibly moving and that is held within each individual for months and months to come until the next Kwanzaa because you've got something else to share. And I think that would be, you know, just a great thing for us all to do every so often is to have a family meeting, which is about, you know, what you what you bring to me, what the gifts are. It's not about the you know, the children not washing up or doing the laundry. It's about how incredible they are and how they have enriched our lives. And again, that's why with dying matters and in a good place. It's really kind of like campaigning to say it's OK to have these life conversations, these life conversations, these death conversations. It's a beautiful thing. It is. That sounds beautiful. And why do you think there's so much taboo around those conversations about having them? I think there's possibly more taboo here in the West than there are in, you know, Africa, in Asia, in South America. I think, you know, here and, you know, you'll know <clears throat> death, sex, menopause, periods there's such a, a frowning uh, and a discomfort about all of these life forces I don't know why there would there is such a taboo people are probably scared people understandably we, we, we are all going to be scared of how we die because it's an unknown Many of us don't want to be in pain. You know, if we had a choice of how we're going, many of us would say, oh, I just want it to be in my sleep. I want to just close my eyes and then that's it. 
I want it to be quick. So I think the fear and the taboo is about the the pain that's possibly caused in that process. And so we don't like the thought of somebody suffering if they have cancer. We don't like the thought of somebody suffering if they have, um, you know, if they've had an amputation and, you know, things are going wrong. You know, those we don't like that. And I think people are more likely to put off that conversation because we cannot, in the main, predict how we die. But my father, he used to say that death is nothing to be afraid of. He actually woke up alongside his 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 dead grandmother when he was about nine or ten. And from that day on, he just knew that dead people can't frighten you because he tried to wake her. He didn't realise that she was dead at that time. Until the neighbours had to come over and say to him, actually, your, your grandma's died. But she was just there as a body. And I think that's perhaps why, you know, I'm so, I guess, philosophical. It happens and you can embrace it and you can thrive after it. You can make a difference. Yeah, I think there are fears around the method of how you pass. So, yeah, thank you. And I think, sorry, and I think, so therefore how we live has got to be so much more important than that fear. That we've got to really be in service, I believe, to have that life story spoken about whilst you're alive and when you're not here that you kind of know the things that you have done that's made a difference to other people. So you know when they say, here lieth our beloved Samantha. She was this phenomenal woman who gave so much. She healed hearts and minds. Just mean, they'll be saying all of that stuff over your coffin. But you already know that because it's who you are. They can't make up another story. They can't say... Now, let me think of not that they would in a, in a service because they don't tend to say anything that was mean. But you are unlikely to have people saying, you know, Sam was really awful. I mean, listen to what the, the man's saying there or what the woman's saying. That's, that's not <laughs> Sam. She was never so gracious. She never gave her whole heart to anyone. You're not going to have those murmurings in the background. And that's the nice thing about living this life to the full. Mm. And I do believe. There is a reason why, you know, we are in service to our community and why we really want to make a difference from the heart outwards rather than on the superficial inwards. Mm. Thank you. Mm. I'm just thinking, actually, how can we plan for certainty? In life, we plan for all kinds of things. We plan children. People plan the wedding dress. They haven't even found the one that they love, but they, they plan the wedding dress buying a home, plan for all kinds of things. The, the church, they may not even have a spiritual bone in their body, but they know where they want to be joined in union with the one that they love and how. And so we plan for uncertainty throughout our lives. But the one thing that is certain is that one day we will not open our eyes. So with that and the 
celebrations that can be had for people we love, how can we, because life, tomorrow is not promised. That's something I was brought up with. So you give thanks and gratitude for today. So with positive thoughts in mind, how can we make the discussion less scary? Personally, I would encourage people to share their their choices a little bit like the, the organ donors so there was all of these conversations you know five six seven years ago about becoming an organ donor please let your loved ones know if you are making that choice so that in the event of you being rushed to hospital and you know they can't save you that we know that you're carrying the card I think we should be doing the same thing with the conversations around um, death and how we die is to say. Uh, and again, in a, uh, as, a, as a family setup, I love family meetings. I love it when you can sit around the table or be in the living room or the lounge and, you know, call a meeting. It's OK to call a meeting in your family home because actually you're a business, you're a team. And it's important that every member of the team knows what you're doing, why you're doing it, what your intentions are. So I would definitely encourage the life conversation. If you have teenagers, they may roll their eyes. They may be saying, oh, we don't want to talk about this. But you just, you know, as a parent or as an aunt or as a grandparent, it's important that you find a way to open up that conversation. Or if you can't talk about it, have it written in a journal, a really special book, like where you'd have your recipes or, you know, some of the family stories. You say that there's also on this particular page is my wishes for my death. You can choose to read it now or you can read it when the time comes. But at least you put something in place. And that would be a really lovely book to have because everyone could start to write down the things that they like, would like to have, but also the things that they would perhaps like to see or contribute at your own funeral or what gifts they would perhaps like to leave for you before that time comes. So many conversations would lead off that initial chat around death and dying. Mm. So I want to take us back a little bit to the campaign and the reason we are discussing and embracing and acknowledging that dying matters, right? So we have been through a global grief, grieving process. It's been a great time of loss across the board. What would you say are the concerns of the nation when we talk about dying matters because we've been talking about families per se but there's a there's a, a greater issue in terms of the meaning of these campaigns and how people can prepare and the great loss that people have had which is actually a, an ongoing political discussion what are your your views and what i've just said to you in terms of the nation's concerns I, I think as a nation, we've used the word unprecedented. 
it was in common parlance, wasn't it, for the last two years. And given that we have not had this level of devastation since World War Two, we've been shocked. We've never been affected in the way that we were affected during the pandemic. And yes, it's globally affecting us, but I think we have been so protected. There are other countries that have experienced war and a massive devastation and are a lot more resilient. But we here, particularly in the UK, have not been given the skills and the tools to, to, to talk about our vulnerabilities and our fears. Now, if you're in the States, young people are all, all in counselling. Counselling is a part of their every week experience. But over here in the UK, being vulnerable is not a thing that's promoted. Well-being is now obviously on the agenda, which is great. It gives us all an opportunity to talk about our fears. So I think the national problem is going to be how can everyone access those services? How can everyone feel comfortable in accessing services around their emotional well-being and their mental health? Because, again, it's another stigma and we really need to change that narrative. I believe the undertakers who were having to literally haul out body after body after body and the people that worked in the cemeteries, their well-being will have been severely compromised because they were not able to do their job with the same amount of dignity as they would have done previously. People in health professions, with the doctors, nurses, who have been used to, to a degree, telling someone that their loved one has passed. They've been having to do that 10, 20, 50 fold, day after day after day. And they're not desensitized, but they have become numb. Where are they accessing the support that they also need? So I think we need to be, as a community, we need to be able to check in with our neighbours, check in with our communities to say, how are you doing? Just ask the question, how are you doing? And be patient. Some people will automatically say, oh, I'm fine. But then we have to kind of like say, how have you been during the pandemic? Were you able to see your loved ones? Did you suffer any bereavement or loss? And if they have said yes, then the next question is, have you, ha have you been able to talk about it to anyone? Because again, many people say, well, everyone's going through it quite naturally. But actually, there are some people that have been further removed. And so we shouldn't assume that the person that's asking the question doesn't genuinely want to hear. And I think we should all be arming ourselves with the resources that are out there that we can then say to our neighbours, well, have you thought about speaking to your GP and getting some counselling? Or there's a grief cafe near to where you live. Have you, you know, shall we go together? Again, be in service to your neighbours and your community. Arm yourself with resources that can support them. Or find yourself a person who knows more than you 
signpost them to. And I think that would be really helpful. That would be helpful and healing. It would help bring the community together so that we can all, I guess, campaign for this to be a right and not a privilege. You know, if people want to have counselling, there's probably a waiting list of six, 12, 18 weeks. We need to have that person to talk to as soon as you go and knock on that door at the GP surgery. Because if you are going to the GP surgery, it's likely that you have waited three or six months before making that first step. Mm. There's so many things you've said in there. But there's two things that I draw now. Being in service and right and not a privilege. So being able to respond to what many people call grief, but in reality is trauma. Mm. So with that in mind, I'm going to bring you into what being in service means. And could you tell us a bit more about the kitchen table and what can people expect? Yeah, I mean, you are absolutely right that we, and I'm including myself here, have been in a state of trauma since 2020. And everyone will cope differently. I know that my coping strategies is definitely about being in service to the communities on three causes, which is parenting and family. It's really important that our children have the best experience of being in a family as possible and that parents get the best experience of being a parent. That's really key. And for me, that's fundamental to the growth of a healthy society. Menopause, you know, that's another sense of loss for many women, devastation, uncertainty, confusion that can really impact on not just the household, but again, the wider community. So it's really important that for me to be in service to those women who are uncertain, but also to those men who are respectfully curious and who really want to make a difference within their own environment. So it's really important that I'm in service to them too. And then finally, the kitchen table. The kitchen table came out of my own experience of loss, acknowledging and recognising that I was not alone in having this particular experience, that I wanted to open up my kitchen table so that everyone, no matter how long it has been since they have been bereaved, that can come and sit at the kitchen table virtually and share their experiences, name their loved ones, because it's really important that we hear their names. And you didn't mention your dad's name, which I should have actually asked you about, is mention their name so that we really bring our loved ones back into life through us and our stories. And so the kitchen table operates once a month, the first Saturday of the month at 2 p.m. It's online and it's for anyone and it's free. It's, a, you know, my own little grief cafe called The Kitchen Table. And the reason why I called it The Kitchen Table is because in my family home growing up, we'd either have the kitchen table or the dining room table. And so many stories were told around the table 
and I do the same in my home is that my kitchen table is where people will gather and talk and laugh and share and be vulnerable and give support. People could quite easily move into the living room, but they choose to stay around the kitchen table. Today, we've been really focusing on our adult perspectives of grief and loss. I would like to ask you, because I know with your previous work, and to some extent ongoing work with young people and children, and you gracefully shared with us your father's experience of, of losing someone he he loved and was the primary, it sounds like was the primary carer. How do we have those conversations with children? What do we need to do and think about when we lose someone? And where maybe questions are difficult to answer? It's really important that we're not hiding and keeping secrets from our children. Many, many years ago, I was working with a family whose mother was dying and she wanted to keep this news from her children. She was a lone parent um, and I encouraged her to have the conversation with her children and they were brought into the living room and they knew that something wasn't quite right. This is a thing. Children know that something isn't quite right here. They'll hear hushed conversations or doors will be closed when, you know, they get a phone call. When children start to ask questions, it's really important that you respond to them age appropriately. This cycle of life from birth to school, to working, to perhaps having your own family, to dying in elderhood, ideally, is a natural part of life. But we do know that children die. We know in in our society at the moment there is, you know, a, a, a huge increase in knife crime, not just in London or the Midlands, but also historically in Scotland as well. So, Children have been aware that people die. It's over the news. So it's those conversations that we're having that we should have with our children because they're already exposed to this. Some children are having to cross police lines when they're going to school. What do we say to them? Do we just ignore the fact that there's a police cordon and that we've heard on the news that a child has been stabbed? We can't let them think this is a bogeyman that's out there and that we don't talk about it. So there will be conversations in school. In the UK, I guess, if you are part of a school where it's got a Christian ethos, they'll talk about Christ dying on the cross. So dying is in some conversations already. And how do we choose to live our lives or what celebrations are we going to have? Well, we already know that we have these celebrations. We've just had one. So how do we talk to our children? My granddaughter was three when my parents died. And one lunchtime, she looked up because there were some spotlights. She looked up and she said, Grandma, your parents are dead. Mine are not. 
and I recorded it because I'm thinking, oh, let me hear this again. So I asked to say, can you repeat this? And she said it again. And then she said to me, but they've gone to heaven. And I said, really? Why do you think that? She goes, because they've died and they've rose again. So in her, she understands that there is a concept. And because she's a Christian, her mother's a Christian, she has that knowledge and that belief. And there was a purity to her speaking so matter-of-factly at the age of three. So if you can have the conversations with a three-year-old, you can have the conversation with a five-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old. It's part of everyday conversations. If you've had a goldfish, if you've had a cat or a dog, it's a conversation, unless you are saying that, well, unless you're not being truthful or you've said that they've ran away as opposed to they've died. I'm not sure. I'm now kind of like looking quizzical because I'm thinking, why would somebody tell their child a, um, a lie or a fib about the cat dying? That's just a question that I'm posing. Because when they get older, you might say it was to protect your feelings, little girl or little boy. But actually, it's to protect your feelings as an adult. And we need to work with that. We need to be honest and have integrity. Age appropriately. We're not giving them scare stories or horror stories. We're just talking about the facts of life. As we do when we see somebody that's about to have a baby or a pregnant woman. You actually say, oh, there's a baby in there. So, you know, there's a baby going to be born soon. So in the same way, when we see the funeral procession going by, can we not have a conversation in the same way? Someone saying goodbye to their loved ones. Which, again, I've had that conversation with my with my um, granddaughter. I suggested to her, well, if you bow your head when it's passing, you're showing them respect that you that you feel for them because they're saying goodbye to somebody that they really love. On one occasion, she had said to me, but Grandma, I want to see. I want to see Grandma. And I said, well, have a look, look up, but then put your head back down as a mark of respect because people are going to be very sad because they're saying goodbye to their loved ones. So she'd peek up and she'd put her head down as a mark of respect. She'll never forget that. But she knows that we do say goodbye to people that we love. Thank you. So I'd like us to explore saying goodbye a bit further. So so I've shared that I was able to be in those last days, minutes, moments with my father, but not everybody are able to do that. And it's not possible. Some people, they will say goodbye to loved ones in the hospice. There's lots of views that people have about hospices. And as this is a campaign being led by Hospice UK, can you tell us a bit more about their work, but also what can people expect from a hospice? Because not everybody will have a lived experience of that. That's right. So as far as Hospice UK are concerned, they provide beautiful end-of-life care based on what the patient or the dying person requires and requests. 
So very much led by the individual. There is open access to your loved one. There's no time. There's no visiting hours that you've got open access throughout the whole day. And you can have your space exactly as you want it. If you want particular music played, if you want a particular scent in the room that you can. It's the hospice is a home from home. You can be there as long as you like with your loved one. There aren't the restrictions. And so you are in a good place within the hospice environment. And what I've heard from people who have had loved ones that have passed in the hospices, they couldn't have been in a better place. They have all been so happy with the treatment, with the way in which their loved one was looked after. The staff around are all genuinely caring people because this is something that they do day in and day out. They're saying hello and they're saying goodbye within a relatively short frame of time. But they make everyone feel as if they are, which they are, completely unique, completely special, and that nothing is too much to provide for them during their final journey. So I think if people are aware of the tenderness, then that may well be one of the options that they consider. Because not everybody has the space for 25, 30, 40 family members coming into their home. Not every family member can manage stairs or, you know, just may be difficult for them to access your own property. But with Hospice UK and the hospices that are, you know, within their, I suppose, within their, their remit, they are fully accessible. That the children that visit are, you know, they, they can be children. Because your your space is private. It's a little bit like a gladiator, you know, that's a, it's, a, it's an honourable, an honourable process to dying. And looking at you both, obviously the listeners can't see that I can see you, but there's a serenity when you're reflecting on, you know, what I've just been speaking about. There's, for me, a feel-good factor in knowing that we can have as much control as possible if we are able to plan it. As you said earlier, Jolene, is that some of these things are unpredictable. Tomorrow is not guaranteed, but we have today. And the one thing that everyone can take away from this conversation is, let's have a conversation about dying. Or have a plan for yourself that you are willing to share with your loved ones. That's a gift. about choice isn't it yeah it was interesting listening to you actually doing that kind of wrap-up because what's often forgotten is felt but maybe not said as much is the amount of love that can be generated in that space in that time that can be given 
so that the so that people don't feel fearful because the people who are leaving us may not be speaking but they're hearing everything and so that energy that we have to be cozy into the energy that we bring into their space which has become so sacred much more sacred at that time so in terms of something you said earlier on my father's name was john okay john so we'll say his name is john one last thing i wanted to ask is as it's awareness week what are the key messages do you think we should be receiving from the campaign because it's a week but for us it's everyday life absolutely 100 percent I would encourage you all to write to your MPs and fundamentally insist that those who died at home during the pandemic, that their stats are recorded in the review for pandemic loss, because currently it's not there. Within two days of the campaign being launched, we've had 400 letters been sent to MPs already. So there's a lot of traction, but obviously we want more. Given that the uh, elections are tomorrow in the UK, it would be really good for your local MP to have a letter from you saying, please make sure that these stats are included. Secondly, I would say have the conversation or write it down in a beautiful journal or a beautiful book that you can hand on to your loved ones that states your wishes, your poems, your hymns, your verses, whatever, however you want your end of life to look and feel for those who you are saying goodbye to. Have a plan, note it down, have a mood board, you know, have mood boards for so many things, do a collage of how you, of, of your wishes and encourage your loved ones to see that through. And finally, I would say, outside of talking to your family, talk to people within your community about how they're feeling, come to the kitchen table, it's free, it's there for everyone to access, be part of a conversation, be part of growing mass of people who are in service to our community because we are here to support each other. If I can support you, I know that you will support someone else or in turn you can support me as well. So I think we should just be very community spirited and give a helping hand and be in service. I hadn't planned to ask you this, but what do you think workplaces could do more of? Many people in workplaces are grieving but they're at work how can we support them better yeah. again in the workplace they need to there are there are many workplaces have the policies about well-being but they're very much in principle rather than in practice employees are made to feel that they are taking time out for things that are not serious. So I'd really like employers and organisations to really value the heart of their staff. Their profit 
will not be compromised by putting people first. And so I'd really want every organisation is to invest wholly in their employees, in their staff, because their staff are making them money. And the more that they can invest in their staff's well-being and their heart, the more likely they are to have great retention of employees. And they'll have employees there for life. Now, that is a real marker of a great employer if we are then encouraging our children and our children's children to work for an employer who puts heart first and puts people before profit because it's a win-win, in my opinion. So do not penalise people for having time out and encourage, you know, again, someone like me to be in the workplace, to have a dedicated person, a dedicated space for staff to talk about any issues regarding life, living, grieving, parenting, all of these things impact on how we are as employees, having a safe space and an independent person as well to offload onto and get support from is very, very beneficial. That's what I've been encouraging them to do. Thank you. So we want to move away from principle into meaningful practice. You need someone who is competent enough to manage trauma that can trauma, grief, whatever the type of well-being that's needed. The guidance, policies, practice have to be right, have to be meaningful and provide psychological safety that's what we need yes we could go into another podcast but i have to say <laughs> thank you i know sam will have things to add but i think we got a real a real 360 of the sort of things we could be talking about in those conversations that are really necessary so thank you maureen yeah thank, thank you. you maureen just a quick reminder on where people can find the kitchen table so the kitchen table runs monthly and it's on Zoom. And I think if they check out Instagram, the kitchen table, or on my website, maureen-anderson.co.uk, they will find information there. And also, if they can check out the Hospice UK website, they will see the whole campaign. They'll see some interviews with me. And maybe they may catch Simba in the mix of all of that, the Cavapoo, who is often making a an appearance. <laughs> Thank you so much, Maureen. It was lovely again to talk to you yeah, about a really important subject. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the Wednesday Woo Woo Show. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and also coming soon on Clubhouse. Or find us at thewednesdaywooshow.com and subscribe to our update. Tune in next Wednesday to hear another amazing episode of the Wednesday Woo Woo Show. See you next week.
The information contained in this podcast is provided for entertainment and information purposes only. The contents of this podcast are not intended to amount to advice and you should not rely on any of the contents of this podcast if you require medical treatment, in which case medical or professional advice should be obtained before taking or refraining from any action as a result of this podcast. The Wednesday Woo Woo Show disclaims all liability and responsibility arising from any reliance placed on any of the contents of this podcast. Thank you.